There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. Welcome to the Rose Podcast number 913. This episode's Greg Kinnear. I was so excited to have Greg Kinnear on. I, I, I have always adored him. I met him very early on when I first started working at MTV, and he was real nice to me, and I've always just rooted for him. Yeah. He's funny. He sort of changed the way cable shows are made. You know, It's like he changed it, and then he had this amazing career on top of that. Yeah, I, I, I always, you know, he was so great. It was so cool to see him transition from being like a really funny host on Talk Soup. To be an Oscar-nominated yeah. actor. I mean, it's, and it's like, it be, and almost just because of that, uh, that fact was one of the funniest moments in the Larry Sanders show. I brought that up on the episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For what? Talk Soup. Talk Soup <laughs> with Tom Petty. Yeah, exactly. Rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about, we talked about that. Oh, that's awesome. Because it totally freaked him out. You yeah, know, yeah. Was, he was like, I have to do what? With whom? Uh, but uh, but again, sorry you weren't at that one too, Jonah. Yeah, but I love that you pop in for the intros now. Yeah, I'm here and there. I'll do it. I'll do what I can. I do my best. Always have. A little deadbeat dad though. A little bit. Hey, I'll uh, come in for one of your intros. Uh, Doesn't it mean that I like your company more than these <laughs> than celebrities? These vapid celebrities you <laughs> parade on in here. You know what? You think I want to see them? I want to see you. What happened to my friend? He's dead, Jonah. He's actually more back now than I've ever known him. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I have more time now. It's like, it feels like Chris is back. Not that like you were gone, but it's just you were so busy all the time. Well, yeah. I mean, doing a daily television show takes a lot of energy. Yeah. Brain space. It takes a lot of brain space, and then it moves everything else that you would normally do on those days into the remaining little slivers of time. Yeah, exactly. And so you're just all the time like, huh, where am I? What am I supposed to? How do yeah. I? Uh, so it's yeah. nice. It's nice to be back. It was, it was, it was good seeing you guys the other night at yeah. the at the Walking Dead premiere. Yeah, that was a blast. That was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks, thanks for, for coming. Thanks for, thanks for inviting us. It was play a, the Greek. Yeah, the Greek. You got, you got Kyle Clark up there uh, warming up the warming crowd. up the crowd. <laughs> I was talking to I was when I was leaving. I said goodbye to Norman Norman Reedus, and he was talking to this guy uh, that uh, uh, named Ian. And I talked to this guy named Ian, and I go, "Wow, he looks familiar. He looks really familiar." And then they started. They, I just started getting clues pieced together. And Norman asked him, "Like, oh, you guys played here?" And he was like, "Yeah, yeah, we played the Greek before." And then he said he mentioned his age, being fifty-five, and it just didn't register. And then literally two days later, I was like, "Ian Curtis." That was Ian Asbury. Oh, Ian Asbury. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, I was, it was like I was like a musician. Ian, what do I got? Yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty sure that was Ian Asbury that That's I was talking crazy. to for ten minutes. And he's lucky that I didn't that at the moment. I wasn't like, oh yeah, because I fucking love the cult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's really rad. He lives in that area, I think. Oh, he does. Yeah, yeah. My uh, my brother like dog sits for him sometimes. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, it's a, that night was so well, one of my favorite moments was like when you're on stage and you were talking to Greg Nicotero and then he like brought up George Romero rest in peace and yeah. then like talked about like the reference of uh, to Day of the Dead yep uh, and then the, the, the severed head his puppet, severed head yeah you know, uh, but then like you know but then also what I was like not near but down the same row as Tom Savini oh shit uh, the, yeah the godfather of you know um, modern gore effects um and so during the episode, they're screening the episode. Every time there was like a gore or an effect moment, I would look down <laughs> just at Tom Savini just, just to see, just and like, to wait to see if he would nod or go shake. Yeah, his head. yeah. And no. every once in a while, you'd like it's like I'd like, like a real graphic kill or something like that. I'd look over at him and like he kind of like nodding his head, like yeah. I was like, ah, this is ah, so neat. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, this is uh, Greg Kinnear. He's promoting same kind of different as me, which is in theaters now. And uh, Katie, would you be so kind as to? Roll the thing in five, four, three. Hold the roll in five, four. Cut. Oh. All right, Jonah, you're right in the camera. This is a podcast. Why are you in? The I'd camera? go back to one, but I have to start at five. Okay, five, four, three. Oh, you're not going to say the last. You don't say two and one. Why? Because of Wayne's World. <laughs> Now entering Nerdist.com. Just, uh, or, or Catholic mom guilt. I'll just have my mom come over and just passive-aggressively just make the termites feel bad about why they're here, but no, not in a way that no. is directly they, threatening. They are, but they will still won't leave. Even, <laughs> even with a horrific mother-in-law, they won't leave. They're comfortable here. There's a lot of delicious, chunky, crisp wood pieces for them to gnaw on. They're not going anywhere soon. I gotta sure, just you. eat their house. Why not? Yeah. Sure, just eat their house. Enjoy. Yeah. I hope you're having fun. I hope you guys are having fun. <laughs> Uh, this is really good, this house. <laughs> mm, you can really taste the years of desperation and being in Hollywood for, you know, 80 years, this, this, yeah. this house. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you remember the first time that we ever met. I do. You do? I do remember the first time we met. Okay, when do you think it was? And, uh, and But I'm going to let you tell the oh, story. Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Um, it, I, I started working for MTV in 1994 oh, and was course, was course a huge fan of talk soup. Uh-huh. And I came over to, where were you guys shooting that? Some studio, whatever, there was a studio where you were shooting that. And I met you and it was, you were, le- you were leaving the show and I go, and I think I just blurted out, I was like, how can I take over this show? And you go, oh, you want to host the soup, huh? And I go, I do. And you and you were like, well, I mean, you, you were not in control of that decision. Yeah. So uh, you were like, well, good luck. You were very nice, but doesn't uh, sound like me. <laughs> but uh, but you, uh, told Tom, uh, your stage manager, Tom, Tom, sure, Tom. who I worked with for yes. years yes. after that. Yes. Yeah, Tom and and. 
Uh, I don't know if John Esposito was still John there. Esposito was on Singled Out. I worked with John on Singled Out. And Perrin, uh, Perrin uh, Spaghetti. Uh, I made up his last name. Uh, he was another <laughs> one Italian. of our characters. We, you know, it was just a, such a, a lonely group in there of like three or four of us <laughs> trying to fill a half hour of daytime television clips. But it was, uh, you know, such a... I, I look back on it very fondly, obviously. And uh, hey, man, things worked out for you. I, I think they're fine. Yeah, I'm you're, not you're complaining. Just fine. Other than the termite infestation here at the house, <laughs> God, I mean, I'm you're so gonna, upset about that. you know, I mean, the floors are a little uh, loose, but you're gonna be just fine. It's fine. When the, you know, by the time the floors are all gone and it's just the studs of the house because the termites <laughs> have consumed everything. You know, one. It's funny enough. I probably to some degree. The reason I, I, I am I am here, the reason that we ran into each other uh, at, at the Talk Soup hallway years ago, was because of MTV. That's right. Did you know that I auditioned for MTV? No, I don't think I did know that. Yeah, okay. For what? Well, if we set the clock back to like 1947 sure, or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Whenever, whenever MTV was uh, still had the stairs and you had J.J. <laughs> Johnson and Martha Quinn. J.J. Jackson, Quinn. Martha well, Quinn. Uh, I, I, yes, exactly. And I, I, uh, I had a friend of mine who was dating Justine Bateman. Uh-huh. We're talking family ties days that, Those were good days, yeah. And she had just hosted something at MTV, uh, like a Super Bowl. Remember how the MTV would go to the Super Bowl and they'd oh, have the yes. Super Bowl party? And Justine somehow was tied with that. And my, my buddy said, hey, listen, we, we told this girl at MTV about, about you. I have no idea why. I was working for a, a marketing, low-budget film company, basically just trying to pass the days here. But they thought maybe I... I could go be a VJ. And so I actually went to New York somehow through somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. I got an audition out there and sat on those stairs and said, hey, hey, all you cool cats. This is Greg Kinnear, man. We're just going to play some tunes and talk today. And needless to say, it was a, a, a total faceplant, horrible audition. And His voice is entirely too squeaky. I mean, I, that's not even a real voice. <laughs> you think I went too high? That probably was a mistake, you know, come to think of it. But uh, I, I didn't get the job, but I got a nice tape out of it, and it said MTV Audition on it. And so... I ended up, there was another channel starting up in L.A. Before E was E, it was called Movie Time. And I dropped the tape off, and they saw MTV audition on it, and they were so impressed by that, that somebody was, had an MTV audition tape, that it, it got me an audition there and kind of got me my first job. That's insane. I mean, it, you know, Talk Soup really was, it really sort of ushered in the 90s and sort of a new way to approach television because it really, by the time the 90s came along, we as a culture started to admit there might be too many channels yeah. of, and not all of the stuff is great. Yeah. And so Toxic was really the first show that I can remember that had a direct conversation with the audience of, look how dumb all this shit is. You know, it was like yeah. really the first. And it's so funny that even until, even still people are replicating that formula. But you guys, you and Tom and Jonas was just those couple of guys in the studio legitimately were just trying to make each other laugh. But that became... A, the way to do a show and then by the time joel took over the soup there was an audience and it was yeah. a whole thing and you know but back then it would really just seem like you guys were in the closet and someone said we're not going to let you out of this until you almost like mystery science theater we're not going to let you out of this closet until you talk about all these horrible shows 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody, I mean, the network, like, didn't know we were on the air for the first year. <laughs> and, uh, and and we were given just a complete open license to kind of do anything. And I, it was very liberating. I suddenly was uh, doing that show and feeling like, God, there really are no rules here. We we really can do anything we want. And this stuff, this shit is bad. <laughs> So <laughs> I think we will have a little fun with this because the initial idea was to do a very serious look with a coat and tie at the highlights of today's Geraldo Rivera episode. And that very quickly just seemed like, well, that ain't going to work. Uh, so it just got wilder and wilder in there. But it was, a, it was a great place to start. I mean, that period of the glut during the daytime talk show gold rush of the 90s where it just and that went on for quite a while but every you know and they all started off like they all started off like no we're gonna be like phil donahue we're mm-hmm. really gonna and it's just, right. just quickly got into right are you the father of this baby <laughs> like it's just so fast it's so crazy <laughs> that's so true man they'd they look and take one look at that first week of ratings and whether you are morton downey jr or sally jesse Raphael, you're gonna we're gonna have to amp this shit up <laughs> and it, 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 you'd immediately go uh you know it wasn't long before the um you know the whatever crazy scenario they would bring alien babies yeah, yeah. It, do, it didn't matter it was uh and and I, I guess they just sort of realized like yeah the majority of people really don't want an incisive take uh of every different talk show with real social issues they really it people just want tabloid gunk that's right to distract them from the world i met oprah uh, years later at uh, a dinner and I complimented her because she was the only one the who only was smart one. enough not to give us a clip. <laughs> and I was like, was that you or was that somebody else? And she said, no, I did. I, I, I don't, I don't remember, but we all kind of knew maybe that wasn't the best place for us to be having clips of, uh, of our show. But I, I, I was uh, always quite admirable. I uh, thought it was very admirable of them to, uh, Refuse us. Did any of those hosts have a good sense of humor about what was going on, or were, did yeah. you? Okay, I mean, good. I, I they think had they to did. know. They had to know. Yeah, Jerry Springer. You know, I mean, across the board. I think you know. I, I went and did like a thing in New York where we literally went to the shows. Uh, we did. We did an episode like that. So. You know, they obviously were in on it at that point, and it, and it was okay. And they seemed, you know, listen, as long as we were tagging what time the next episode was coming on and who was on it, it was a, you know, we didn't pay a cent for the clips. It was actually, it was that was the genius of it, is it was all free, everything. I had some spoons floating behind me in a green screen, and they paid me, I don't know, just above minimum wage. And, and, and they, the clips themselves were considered, uh, you know, it, since fair it was use. promotional and, oh, fair promotional use, and fair use, because we were going to plug what was coming up tomorrow on the show. <laughs> Everything was was a gimme. So I think everybody had some sense of humor about it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was okay. Well, it was also a period of time where you did something that was very in highly uncommon, and having worked at MTV during that time, but the entertainment business used to be very compartmentalized. And so that if you were, even if you were a cable person, you the network didn't really take you seriously. If you were a specific kind of cable person, like working at MTV, other cable channels were like, nah, they're MTV people. They're not really, you know. And then to then go do movies was crazy. And so to watch you jump from a cable show 
on a deep cable channel, which was very successful at the time, but still it was a deep cable channel, to fucking, like, the biggest movies. I mean, it's that leap. That was like, oh, my God, one of us got out. How'd he get out? Jesus Christ, Craig, throw back a lifeline, buddy. What are you doing? He's He's swimming away. He's climbing over the wall. (laughs) I'm relieved, but also sad because I'm, Greg, throw throw a fucking ladder down. And then just gone. Just gone. I mean, when you look at your, um, the first two movies you did, at least of what I saw on your IMDb, it was like, Blank Man, Sabrina. Like, it's like the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, so what was the... was Is the lore true? It's like, oh, Gary Marshall loved Talk Soup and just said, I want to put that guy in a movie. You know, I think he... Uh, uh, no, I, that, that wasn't the case. I, with regard to S- Sabrina, um, Sidney Pollack had had uh, uh, Lindsay Duran was working for Sidney Pollack. She was an executive at Paramount. He had been trying to cast Harrison Ford's brother in that movie for a long time. I mean, they, they were carrot top had passed at this point. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was, it was, they, they were really at the end of their rope. And I, I think he, uh, Lindsay pointed out to him, said, Hey, have you ever seen this show? Talk soup. To which he, like many others, said no, <laughs> and he said, uh, "Bring me a, you know, a, a, a tape of it, a half-inch VHS cassette for you kids out there." Yeah, we used to have to carry our media around in <laughs> duffel bags. <laughs> and uh, he checked it out, and he said, "Oh, wow! Well, bring me a, um, you know, a uh, what do you call it, an eight by ten or something." And on the back, of course, you list your various bio information. I am from a small town called Logansport, Indiana. Um, lived there until I was about 10. Sidney Pollock is from Lafayette, uh, Indiana. So he, you know, we're not that many miles away from each other. And literally when I met him, he honestly could not believe that anybody was from a smaller town in Indiana than he was. So part of the reason that we ever even had a meeting, this is way before I'm auditioning or reading was honestly just like he, he wanted to just talk to a guy from Indiana and, uh, and then eventually I did, you know, I did, you know, audition and, and uh, they put me on tape. And, and so it was a, yeah, it was a crazy, uh, you know, left hand turn that only a guy like that, a guy who's in complete control of his career, um, 800 pound gorilla and somebody, you know, respected enough in the, in the movie business. And there's not that many guys like this anymore in our business who could say, yeah, I want to take a shot here with this. I mean, you know, I, so I was very, um, I was incredibly fortunate for that and, and, uh, and appreciative, obviously, of the, of the shot he gave me. Did you get fun Harrison Ford or gruff Harrison Ford? Hey, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he was, uh, he, he was good. He was great to me, actually. We, uh, uh, we had uh, lunch in New York. I'm suddenly with Han Solo. Uh, having having lunch in a in a restaurant in New York, and I'm like thinking, God, this is really happening right now. And we hadn't started shooting the film yet, and he just you know said, "Let's go grab a bite." And I'm trying to be cool, and my big joke was to say, you know, act like, of course, I didn't know what that movie was <laughs> or who, you know, what that. And he kind of gave me the. Sort of appreciative laugh as if he hadn't heard that bad joke a thousand times before, but, uh, but he was great. And, um, 
I wouldn't say he was gruff. He was uh, he was really good, and he was great in the movie. Um, uh, he was a pro. I was lucky to get a start with a guy like that. I mean, it 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 must have been so surreal because your background is in broadcast journalism, right? Yeah. So was acting ever something that you thought you would wa- wanted to branch into, or really well, my about? background was in you know try not to be in prison i mean my background <laughs> was i had gone to college and i i had was a broadcast journalism major um you know i and i did have interest in news i i genuinely did um living in overseas i'd grown up overseas uh my father's with the state department as a kid and i always thought well maybe there's a place there you know and and that would be that would be a guy in a sport coat and a tie and that would be the sort of uh uh you know i could i could say look mom dad i I, look i wear a tie to work you know and it, it would just fit some sort of template of of all things respectable i was interested in the news and what the hell i figured i could talk to a glass uh you know, a uh, glass camera and tell, tell stories. But, uh, but it, I just never found anywhere in that world after college that was going to provide me with a livelihood and, you know, kicked around, did some other stuff after school before, you know, getting my first break. I mean, it's honestly, it, it's such like a, it's such a Harry Potter story, but for like, <laughs> but for a performer, it's like you, you're the chosen one. You know, I mean, it, it, the, the amount your life must have changed overnight. But don't you find that? I mean, you're talking to people all the time on this show, and I find I, I'm always amazed at how many people have these, you know, have extraordinary, uh, an extraordinary opportunity or a turn or something that shifts. It's not everybody waited tables for 25 years and then got their first break. No, that's true. But, but I, but I also feel like it's, it, it, sometimes what'll happen is that it's, you know, a lot of stuff has been thrown against the wall and then eventually something kind of tips just because of the sheer weight of like, well, this person's really talented and sooner or later it was going to happen. And you were so funny and so just the timing of it was so beautiful right out of the box that it it really did sort of happen. I mean, I know the soup, the talk talk soup was for a couple of, was it two or three seasons that you did? I did it three years and, and then I did movie time three years before that, which was just sitting in a room and looking at highlights of talk, uh, uh, sorry, looking at, uh, uh, you know, movie clips and trying to fill an hour of time every day. Yeah, but it just, it just, it just like all of a sudden you were just in the public consciousness and it, yeah. it all, it all happened so, you know, even hearing like, well, this was six years but it didn't feel like it happened that quickly. Yeah. But when it actually did happen, it was it, it was pretty quick. And did you ever consider going into politics at any point, like to follow in your... Fa- <laughs> oh, my God, no. <laughs> and my father was in politics. He was, you know, I mean, say he, you know, worked in D.C. And, uh, you know, State Department got a diplomatic assignment to Beirut, Lebanon in the mid-70s. So we went to Lebanon and then uh, after that to Athens, Greece, where... He was reassigned only because the Middle East, which was the territory that he covered, you know, was a very volatile place. And, and so there were a lot of Americans at the American embassy in Greece in that time. So I was there for six years and went to high school there. Oh, wow. So what was your 
what was your comedy influence at that time? Like when you're when you're living abroad in a pre-internet era, yeah. Like during very formative years, yes. What's your comedy? Well, I did take? a radio show um, called School Days with Greg Kinnear. Days spelled D-A-Z-E. Just to let you know how good. cutting edge it was. <laughs> and I I followed. It was on the Armed Forces Radio Station. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Network, a service of AFRTS, serving you, the men and women of the United States Air Force Command. Time at the tone, it's 12 o'clock. Then they'd play the news. Then Casey Kasem would come on for a three-hour block, and then my little show would come on, and it was just an hour. Um, so I guess Casey Kasem was my comedy actress. <laughs> Well, another one. Wow. Keep hearing that name come up a lot. You know, those uh, those uh, personal call-in dedications would kill me. They were so funny. Um, You've heard the outtakes, I'm sure. You heard the case? <laughs> oh, outtakes? my gosh. Oh, yeah. Those are fantastic. I got to come out of a goddamn up-tempo song and talk about a fucking dog dying. Get Don. Dean never got Don on the phone. He never got Don on the phone. No, Don never got, got on never the phone. Got, where are those pictures he was supposed to sign? <laughs> yeah, that was great stuff. I, you know, um, the, the truth is, because we couldn't get television over there, there were um, three shows on Greek television, American shows, that would have subtitles on them for the Greeks, so I, we could watch it and understand it, which was uh, Combat, uh, for some reason, uh, with Vic Morrow, there was Dallas uh, and the Muppet Show. Oh wow! So, so there's my there's my prime cultural years being influenced by by that. Just to give you an indication why I haven't had more success in this business. <laughs> um, but I, I uh, the one thing that did happen while I was over there was the invention of the VCR. So a friend of mine dad started to ship back episodes of saturday night live oh fantastic and the tonight show so i saw you know i started to see uh the tonight show in the last you know my junior senior year of uh of high school as well as saturday night live which was so beyond it, it wasn't even like i was warmed up for it i mean if you were living here watching television and and by the way at this time obviously it, 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 saturday night live was still a striking breakthrough across the board but to go from just such limited cultural influence such limited television to all of a sudden the idea of that was i would it was like oh my gosh this is wonderful and by the way back to mtv i'll say when i first saw in mtv where i was you know when i when i first saw mtv uh, uh I don't know, it must have been early 80s yeah yeah 81 i think uh, it launched that was a breakthrough. That was a huge moment, too, where I, I don't know. These things started happening where you realized it wasn't going to be like it used to be anymore. Right. Yeah. Well, because it what they started realizing was and it's continued to happen, but they realized that, oh, there are niche audiences and a niche audience is actually good because it's super focused and we know who the audience is rather than the old programming model of like, well, let's just try to get as many people as possible in the world to watch this one thing. It's like MTV was for this crowd and it might have been a smaller number, but it was a really passionate audience. That's right. And so it and then, of course, the Internet even divided that up an infinite number of ways. Yeah. So now we're in, now we're just in a culture where nothing is too too popular <laughs> because everyone kind of has their own right their own little niche to to go down i know it's all been slightly neutralized which is why it seems like all of the big uh epic things that happen that we are all talking about are either coming out of the news they're coming out of politics or they're coming out of sports right because the entertainment stuff is just so 
segregated. It's so it's so splintered. But honestly, one of the um, you know, sadly, when Tom Petty passed away a few weeks ago, oh man, one of the things that I that this is a hundred percent true. One of the things that popped into my head when I heard the news was the scene that you had with him in Larry in the Larry Sanders show yeah. where you're arguing with him about being bumped to yeah. go and and you go I was nominated for an Oscar and he goes for what talk soup and then you guys go at each other it was so fucking funny and and also at a time where you know again we we were just sort of becoming aware of ourselves as an entertainment culture in a way that uh, the fact that you would go on this show, which was kind of satirizing talk shows and making fun of yourself with Tom Petty, like it was, so, there were so many layers of it that were so great. Yeah. Uh, and was- I love that. I love that show. And, you know, it, again, it's another sort of touchstone, like we're talking about, of ones that were just such breakthroughs. And, and fortunately, because uh, of where I live, about a half mile from me was a guy who is living there named Gary or, uh, Gary Shandling. Yes. I was confusing my Gary Shandling with my Larry Sanders, which was easy to do because he was so flipping good in that. Yeah. And a terrific, um, just a great, great guy and uh, a a friend. And, uh, you know, I, I... I knew him for a long time before I actually, he asked me to go on the the show and he didn't ask me to go on it until literally the last last one. So I was a little sweaty (laughs) when Gary finally came to me and, and, uh, but I just so admired uh, his work in that and everybody's work. It was off the charts. Great. And then yes, to end up in a green room with Bruno Kirby and, uh, and Tom Petty and have my little, moment was uh, was extraordinary and petty was pretty good in that man he was good he's like hey soup boy <laughs> he had that thing and i it's funny because my, my wife and i were literally talking about stub hubbing tickets last monday to what would have i think was his last concert yeah. it was the one at the hollywood bowl right. two weeks ago yeah a couple weeks right? ago yeah and Oh, it's just it was horrible. And I, he's a terrific. Uh, I mean, what an what an incredible loss for all of us uh, musically. I I got to interview I I an MTV in nineteen. I covered the nineteen ninety five Video Music Awards, so they had me there like interviewing all these bands and people, and and so I interviewed Tom Petty, and most of them were you know a little serious on the serious side, and Tom Petty just had this really dry sense of humor, and we we did the inter- the radio interview. And the end for no reason. I go, hey, okay, thanks. I've been here with Tom Petty. And for no reason, he just leans into the microphone and goes, we're not wearing pants. And it just was so out of nowhere and and funny because I didn't expect. It was like, it was funny because it was Tom Petty. Yeah. And he just decided to tell everyone at the end that we're not wearing pants. And then that was the last thing you heard in the interview. It was always one of my favorite entertainment things that ever happened. And it made me fall so in love with him as a person right that he would just like hey, you just fuck around like they didn't take it too seriously i was so nervous when t- gary was like uh, um greg uh, you're gonna do it with tom patty <laughs> and i was like oh my god this would be horrible tom Petty, i don't even know how to act around a rock star this will be horrible in every level and he was uh same thing just totally disarming funny as hell and flipping great so um what is the emotional experience of uh, going to the Oscars and being nominated for an Academy Award and trying to not have your brain... Winning, like, win, winning an Academy Award. Winning an Academy yes, Award. Yes. Uh, uh, or was I just nominated? You're, you're right. I'm nominated. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You were right. I was just nominated. I'm sorry. I can never... It was so long ago. 
Go ahead. <laughs> They're really fun if you're like, no, I won that one. Are you sure? Yeah, no, I want it. By the way, it's, it works uh, periodically. Yeah, seriously. You know, like we're in a we're in, we're in a world now where you just have to say shit. People won't check it, and then from hey, then on, they'll just say we used to call it the award winning talk soup, and people <laughs> bought it. So you know, I worked on a radio show once in L.A. It was a morning radio show in the '90s, and we just decided to call the show the number one morning show. And then people, sure, why not? And people would go, "Congratulations on being the number one yeah, morning show." Yeah. Like, oh no, no, no. We're way at the bottom of the ratings. It's just called the number one morning show, and they'd be like. God damn you. Right, right. Yeah, no. so you really... And now you can just say anything and, and a percentage of people will believe it. So right. anyway, when you were winning your the Academy Award yes. uh, for as good as it gets, I mean, is that... Again, that's another... That's sort of another milestone. Is it... it how are you staying grounded at this point emotionally and not just... Sp- Spinning off your axis because of that kind of insanity. Did you feel pretty grounded during that period? Uh, I, I did. I did. Um, I didn't feel. Uh, I didn't feel ungrounded at that. I mean, it was a, obviously an incredible thing, and it was a crazy, you know, just a crazy night, you know. And it's uh, incredibly, uh, you know, you're, you're you are really appreciative of uh, of a moment like that in your your career. Um, so I was grateful to Jim Brooks for obviously that movie was, was wonderful and he was great with me in that. Um, but you know, that was just a, that was a crazy event. I mean, suddenly you're at the, uh, at the, at the big show and I brought my mom and dad, which was fun. Oh, they so got to nice. go. Yeah, it was great. Ed and Sue's were out there and, uh, um, we are uh, the car that took us, uh, was in a small crash, uh, in my, uh, garage pulling out shortly before, and there were a few memorable moments from from getting to the awards that uh, that I won't forget. But uh, but yeah, it was cool. That is me. You didn't win, right? It was you. You was nominated. I can't remember. No, I was nominated. Yes, you were nominated. I feel terrible. I was like, you're nominated, and you're trying to like subtly tell me like, no, actually, no. If you folks, if you had seen the look in his eyes when he <laughs> said you were nominated, and I said no, I actually won. I mean, it was. You think these got? It's the same look when he was told of the termite problem here at the That's house. That's right. It was the same kind of. It's all going to come crashing down, and it's like I don't know if you've ever. By the way, I've done that before. I I too uh, interviewed people at NBC in the wee small hours at one point in my life. Oh, later. And, yeah, later. And and I I was honestly not particularly good at it. And I would have many moments where suddenly I'd be corrected on something, and they I just try to vamp and get through it but it was horrible <laughs> horrible <laughs> that's right that was did you go over for tom snyder uh bob costas bob costas yes. that's right it was costas yes but before costas it was snyder's it was, spot right who snyder the one who said uh, you get your smokers and your tokers at the 135 hour and i think he was right he was absolutely right but it's also you know i mean that that time slot is really fun, I think, because of that. Yeah. Because you, you know, again, whenever and it, you know, w- whenever the network's not paying too much attention, oh, yeah. that's where magic starts to happen. That's so, right. like with Talk Soup or yeah. that time slot yeah. really late, you know, and that, that's where the magic. Which is what's interesting about today because with the internet, there's just so much. I think interesting stuff happening out there because there's not even a network. It's just total creative freedom happening from, you know, people and in places. Yeah. Because you, yeah, you, you, you literally can just take your content right to the audience. Yeah. There's no, 
Well, this uh, guy in a suit's gonna decide if I'm okay, cool enough to put on there. Like, it just doesn't even matter. You're, you, you know, when people always go, "How do I get started?" And good, you shouldn't even be asking that question. You have a fucking TV studio in your pocket. That's right. You just fucking put it, <laughs> point it at yourself. Put the selfie mode on and put something on the internet. That said, we have enough, so please don't do, take <laughs> so, his advice. Yeah, all right, we granted, are in overload right now. We're so. saturated, so only you good ones out there bother right. doing it. I'll please. tell you what, just make this the last one. All right, <laughs> just this one more. I'm sorry, it's so warm in here too. It's very oh warm goodness. in the room that we're in. <sighs> uh, I'm sweaty. You don't mind if I take this off, right? It is hot in here. It is really hot in here. But it is about 93 degrees, I saw when I was pulling up to Chris Hardwick's house. The the temperature gauge on my car when I was coming back from breakfast at 105. So I don't know if that was... And and this is... The area that we live in, it's it's real dicey because of fires. Like, we're in fire season, which is... We're always. I feel like we're all like meerkats, always just kind of looking around to see if there's any plume of smoke in any direction. Yeah. But it's... It is, and but the thing is, it doesn't matter what part of the country you live in. It's going to be something. It's either tornadoes or hurricanes or earthquakes or fires. Like there's nothing is, nothing is safe. Greg feels like an earthquake. Uh, I, you know, I just think that uh, I don't know. I've had a I've had a funny earthquake feeling for the last uh, I don't know thirty years or so, and uh, sooner <laughs> or later it's going to come. Where were you during the '94 earthquake? I was living on a place uh, over on Oakhurst. Uh, it's probably, I'm sure the Hollywood star tours go by it, uh, <laughs> regularly. It's, uh, I was on Oakhurst Boulevard, uh, between like, uh, Burton and Beverly in a one bedroom apartment with borrowed furniture and a kitchen filled with empty wine bottles at the top, just to show you how cool I was. Sure. And when the earthquake hit, Somebody had told me to put your shoes on. The number one injury from earthquakes is 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 cut glass on on you know feet getting cut by glass, and so that stayed with me, still stays with me. So I kept my shoes by my bed. I remember putting them on. I don't think there's anything else on. This is not a pretty picture, I know, but I go <laughs> running out into my hallway and I hear crunch, crunch, crunch. All those wine bottles had all fallen to the ground, and you look down and uh, there's nothing but glass and and uh, so throw your tennis shoes on if there's an earthquake and don't act like you listened to this podcast today and you didn't learn a little something all right yeah seriously stop acting like that so stop posting content <laughs> we learned and then always put your shoes on earthquake so because Greg Kinnear runs out totally naked but in tennis shoes everyone else in the building clothed on the ground screaming with bloody feet so you decide yeah yeah who's laughing now <laughs> <laughs> Who's Mr. laughing now? Mr. The people Jankowitz. with the bloody feet or the people with the non-bloody feet who are naked? They're still there. They might still be there, just <laughs> sk- just like Pompeians, just frozen, frozen on the ground. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you, uh, but then you also, when you're sort of going back to the idea of. It, it, being in situations where you like fuck up a fact or can't remember something, you also have kids. So on top of that, you, a large portion of your brain space is occupied with being a parent. That's right. Which I imagine doesn't leave a lot of extra room for things like, you know, what year did this thing happen or what award did you know like? Right. So how do you how do you balance the parent brain professional brain? I have a bad memory. Uh, under all circumstances, but it, it doesn't serve either of those two categories, unfortunately, very well. Uh, there is a requirement for 
uh, memory in my line of work, and there's a important need for memory in uh, as a parent too. So I, I, I try to. Uh, I use notes. You have a little thing on your phone where you can just type in notes to yourself and remember bits and pieces of of everything. Uh, and I and I kind of use that, but I'm not a. Uh, uh, that's not a really easy gift for me. And so, uh, parenting, um, I think I'm a good parent. I mean, I work really hard at it and we do have, um, uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have three great kids, three daughters, um, and a wife who's, who's just incredibly on it. And, uh, so when I'm not there, which is, you know, a good portion of the time, if I'm working, um, I, you know, I feel like we're, Oh, you know, that I'm covered and that they're being loved and protected. Um, but parenting is, uh, you know, that trumps everything yeah. for, for it has for me anyway. And, and you, you know, there's always the sense that, gosh, are, are we doing good enough here? Are we doing well enough here? Are we failing in any areas? Uh, it, it, it haunts me a little bit. And by the way, I was raised and, and loved by two great parents. So, uh, I, you know, I am very lucky in that sense, way more lucky than anything else in that sense. And, uh, so I, as a, as a dad, you know, try to do the best that I can, but there's always a little, um, you know, a little sense that, uh, <laughs> could be doing better. <laughs> I just can't. And I mean, I would imagine your kids are probably getting to the age where it's like, Boys are going to start coming around. And oh, you're yeah. going to see that fucking snarky look on a teenage. You know, it's like it's just that look where they're just like they don't got to listen to you know. Yeah, and you're like you better fucking. I-, I will drag you out by the scruff of That's your right. neck. Scrotum. Oh, <laughs> neck. You were going with neck. Okay, I didn't know what you were going to grab. Stuff that's sort of like <laughs> a penis neck. Uh, but it, but but just the idea that you you know it's like how how do you how do you give your kids. The freedom that you know, like, well, I have to respect them as as autonomous creatures who are going to have to start making their own decisions, but, you know, but still wanting to protect them. I'm like, I know more than you think I know, and I know that person sucks, this person's okay, but that person's probably going to hurt your feelings. Like, you just can't, you can't help them that way, can you? No. And uh, uh, first of all, I'm going to call you. Um, as it turns out, for for tips because that's sure. well said and well sure. thought out. You're way ahead of me. <laughs> I honestly haven't thought that much about the dating thing. Although with three daughters, probably wouldn't be a bad idea to start considering the ramifications of that. Um, you know, they're they're you know I have one heading to high school soon, and you know I, I guess I don't. I'm just not that worried about it. I, what worries me about Los Angeles, obviously, is just the the. The community is is so, you know, it is it is separated and segregated, and you know, it, 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 geographically, it's 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 not a um, easy place to get around. It's not uh, areas are are all separated. Sure. There's not a um, a conge- You know, it's not like New York. Obviously, no. it's certainly not like Athens, Greece, where I went to high school, where I was in high school, which was a place where you could take the bus up to this one area and. Everybody from the school would be in, hanging out in this one general vicinity. Um, you know, LA is a big sprawling place and and offers a lot. And then in that sense, it's a it's a great city. But um, in terms of uh, having a sense of community here, it worries me a little bit. Yeah, because there's no central. It's like every little 
township is really its own thing. It's yeah. Like, this is Studio City. This is Santa Monica. This is Marina del Rey. Absolutely. But there's no... And it very much represents the general mindset here of like, I'm only concerned with me and my immediate vicinity, and I don't really care about, you know, having a larger purpose or a community for the good of the... There's none of that. It's no. like, this is fucking my neighborhood. I don't give a shit what they're doing over there. I mean, it's so insulated. It here. is completely insulated, and it worries me um, in terms of how you circumvent it and how you, you know, kind of, uh, you know, how do you raise a child in that environment and not have some of that just be inherently, you know, instilled in them as they go out into the world, because, uh, you know, I, I want them to think, you know, bigger and globally and, you know, not the opposite of that. My biggest fear when, when my wife and I start to have kids, you know, cause we, obviously you, you don't, you don't pick whatever you, you get. It's yeah. like, and I was like, I don't know. I mean, she goes, I want, she goes, I want all girls. And I go, yeah, they're cooler in the beginning, but then when they become teenagers, then it's really scary. And I and she goes, "Yeah, but boys are kind of monsters when they're when they're young." And I go, "That's true, but you don't have to worry." About, you know, it's like when they get older, they're sort of like, eh, they're sort of like, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, you just leave a bowl of water in the corner and they're fine. Yeah. You know, they're little boys. Oh, they're boys. They're gonna be fine. But in a in a <laughs> kind of narcissism prevalent car- post Kardashian era. It, I just feel like there's not a lot of great role models for for young people at the moment. Yeah. And so how do you instill them with like, hey, you know, it's all right to kind of like some vacuous stuff, but yeah, make sure don't don't, you know, don't uh, ease off on the substance. Like, how do you how do you provide some of that at the same time? Well, you know, my my uh, my wife's from uh, the UK and, and we do. You know, we, we have family over there, um, so we, we do spend uh, some amount of every year in Europe, and we send some uh, good deal of time here, and, you know, we have friends, uh, fortunately, around the country, and, and we try to expose them to as much as we can. Uh, you know, in terms of role models, uh, gosh, I, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, you can only you know, push the brakes or push the accelerator so hard on, on any particular subject. Cause you want them to find out the stuff for themselves. They've yeah. got to find their own role model. That's right. That's I right. can't dictate to that to them. And, um, you, you hope that, uh, you know, that you, you hope that they'll, um, you know, find their way. But, um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still figuring it out as I go. You're just basically giving me, if it wasn't hot as hell in here before, it's <laughs> roasting right now. I'm so sorry. It's so warm in here. I think our, uh, I think, you know, it's like you come to my house and it's like, there's a termite problem now. The air conditioning isn't working the way it should be. It's, what a dump. I got what nothing. I got dump. nothing but trouble as a father in the years to come. Yeah. I mean, well, this is horrible. Yeah. We weren't really sure about whether or not you would won an Academy Award. I mean, what a, dis- what a fucking, I think it's safe to say disaster and it's a gun culture in here people you're not here but these there's a bunch antique. of guns these hanging are all over from my the 19th head. century they're oh. not they're non-working those are cool. 19th century that's a blunderbuss there that's uh you, know, you collect them no i just you know i i i love this is gonna upset people that's popular really... in hollywood these days is to be uh to collect various different kinds of muskets well go we... ahead <laughs> I never know when there's going to be a turkey hunt. 
right? <laughs> uh, for the first Thanksgiving. No, um, I, you know, I, I just love, if, you, if I show you around the house afterwards, I sort of see, like, my wife and I both equally had always kind of wanted to live, like, in a museum yeah. when we were growing up. Why is that? I don't know. I always loved museums. I always felt very comfortable in them. I loved the sort of the still dioramas and the history and the and and the just seeing what humans have accomplished throughout the centuries. Wow. And so, you know, there are various collections of things around the house that I think are very unique and special and I sort of felt like, "Oh, I just need to rescue that from being somewhere and display it." And so, it's not that I mean, I'm not a gun person. I just I love the and this is going to upset people who actually appreciate the mechanics of how these work but i i I appreciate the artistry and the craftsmanship and the the aesthetic quality of you know and then the balance of all these different types of uh of guns and these aren't just normal these are actually the most eclectic group i've ever seen it's like a long rifle there there's like a spanish handgun there but they're all they're all like mid 1800s roughly Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah there's nothing wrong with having a gun gun collection it's (laughs) okay you're allowed to have a gun collection yeah i mean you know if i have a daughter or some kid's gonna come over i'm gonna put him in here and just make him stare at that but he's gonna be smart enough to know like well, none of those work. By the way, I'm looking at this going, well, I think you've pretty much solved my problem with dating. <laughs> just have a wall. Just a have wall a wall of, of guns. guns. So, Herman, tell me about yourself. Um, uh, I gotta go. <laughs> As you're just casually polishing the the tip of one. Uh I like hunting, Herman. What do you hunt? People who upset my family, mainly. And you know, boar also boar, uh, but I, but it, but it is it is going to be you know I, I I love talking to people with kids as I'm as we're on the precipice of going down that path because I just the, what I get back is like well you figure it out you know it's it's uh, you can oh, never good, prepare good, for it and then good. you sort of figure it out. I'm glad you're getting that back. I was afraid you were having all sorts of gasping, <laughs> articulate and clear and 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 clear-minded about how to do this <laughs> and how to, you know, perfectly execute the raising of children because uh, I I got crickets for you. I'm go- doing the best that I can. Honey, I was talking to Greg Kinnear and he doesn't know. He just doesn't know. <laughs> what are we supposed to, If he doesn't know, how am I supposed to know? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, but it, you know, it, having a thing in your life that allows you to take the focus off yourself sounds very um refresh it sounds nice yeah because you have you have to well i've overcompensated at this point i've taken the focus so far off me with three kids it's it's not fair (laughs) it's not fair to me that they are sucking this much energy and time away from me and my career and the things i want so i don't know how that happened but it's just gone bananas do you still do you do you like schedule dad time? Do you are like parent like family time? You're like on uh, you know every this day of the week we are gonna get together and have dinner. Or you know uh, we 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 do uh, dinner at, as a family as as often as we can, which is is fairly often when I'm in town. And uh, you know the golfer uh, Phil Nick, uh, Mickelson, who has daughters, actually gave me the tip to to have breakfast, um, have breakfast with them, just one. Yeah. Because he's got like nine or so. I don't know how many kids he has. He's got a lot. A lot. And uh, I thought that was good advice. And and so I try to do that, just to have a little one-on-one 
breakfast every now and then or a one-on-one lunch and the idea of it's a different thing when when mom's there when we're all doing as a family but to have the one-on-one thing is is uh you know is a is a good good thing to try and schedule in every once in a while that and choke up on your wedge you know when that's right when you're chipping that's right he was adamant about that follow through on your (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. Breakfast one on one and choke up on you. Do you yeah. still play golf? Do you play golf? I do. I was just uh, actually uh, in Scotland playing in a tournament there called the Dunhill, which is kind of like the AT and T. Only you get paired with a European pro, and you play three days. And and if you make the cut, you're you're back at the old course on day four, oh, which wow. I never have made the cut at this tournament ever, and uh, almost finished in last place this year. So the golf is. <laughs> Another tough area that you've really managed to nail me on. Well, this is a gotcha podcast. You know, it's like I bring people on. My God. And I really just, you know, it's sort of like... Ghost of Mike Wallace is here right now. (laughs) It's the the verbal equivalent of what a paparazzi does. Like, I try to get like a really, like a weird pause face moment, but but emotionally. Yeah. So that's that's really part of the dissection process. But I do play. I'm not... I'm not great, uh, but I I'm probably a nine, like eight or nine handicap, and I I love the game. I always have liked it as a kid, and um, stopped for a lot of years. But I, I I do play it once in a while. I know you're uh, technically here to talk about the movie, which is is it the same kind of different as me? Do you think that's a problem that we can't remember the name of the title? <laughs> if I remembered it, it though, it's re- you did you did call it correct, but I think it's a. Listen, it's based on a book. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for three years. Same kind of different as me, but it's just the wording of that is 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 tricky. I mean, it's in a world where people have so much information coming from them. I worry about that title. Same kind of different as me being easily. Uh, you know, falling off the tongue when it's time to pick the movie on Friday. But, so you're going yes. to promote the different is the same as you. Well, that's close. So it's kind of different than, well, I mean, it's, yes. It isn't different than the same kind, is it? It's the same as the different kind of sameness. Kind of as s- I am. different as the same of what you're saying it we is. We are the different same. Shit. God, I'm sorry. Same kind of different as me. Same kind of different. There it is. <laughs> different and the same. Different By the way, the when you hit it, it's fantastic. <laughs> but it just takes a while. <laughs> it's like a it is. It's it's like the it's like the Pee-Wee's Playhouse, like secret word of the day where yeah. every all the bing, furniture bing, goes bing, nuts. Bing. Yeah, everything goes crazy. Is the but uh, but you're also um I'm also really excited about the Philip K. Dick series. Yes. Electric Dreams. Yeah. Electric Dreams is uh uh, an anthology. We, they did uh, ten uh, episodes. I everybody just dove in and did one, and mine was based on the father thing, which is um, story about a father who a uh, little boy actually who, whose father he thinks is changing into an alien, and has to come to grips with that. Is it true? Is it not true? You'll have to tune in. It, it's re- really interesting because in a you know now that Black Mirror has been on for a couple seasons, there might be young people who go. Oh, Philip K. Dick. Is this like Black Mirror? It's like, no, no, Black Mirror was like Philip K. Dick. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, it was the, it was before the, and I think there was a, the, um, Channel 4, didn't Channel, didn't they do a British version of Electric Dreams? Yes, no, they, this is the same this version. This is the same version. We did, we did five of them in the UK. Got we it. did five of them in Chicago, maybe one in New York, but, you know, there were five US episodes and then there were five shot in, uh, in the UK. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you ever do you ever write? Do you ever want to write and direct anything? Yeah, I I 
I wrote, uh, I, I, I've, I've written a little bit, um, in, in my, you know, over the years, but, uh, but I definitely wanted to direct for many, many years. And I, I did a film, um, with a wonderful cast that has, uh, is not out yet. Uh, will, uh, I believe be out this spring. It's called Phil, um, much simpler or philosophy title. of Phil, which by the way, I think we got to get rid of philosophy because I like just the simplicity of Phil, particularly in light of the conversation we just had. <laughs> um, but it's with, uh, Emily Mortimer and, uh, Luke Wilson, Robert Forrester and Bradley Whitford's in it and a number of great actors. Wow. And it was really fun to do. Um, you know, um, I, I have, uh, uh, I enjoyed the film. It's a very personal story, and uh, um, I don't know. We'll, are we'll you see in it as well? Yes, you yes, are in it as well. Yes. So you direct, you directed yourself. Yes, and that that was uh, that was a lot. It's a, there's a reason. Um, Doc Rivers is a friend of mine, coach of the Clippers. He said, "Greg, there's a reason." And I sit on the sidelines, and uh, <laughs> you know, I uh, I think there is genuinely a. I have such an appreciation. Um, uh, certainly of those who have done both, who have been able to put themselves in the in the piece and, you know, in some cases, write it, do everything, direct it. Um, but I I really felt when I did this and I'm very happy with the movie. It's I think it's a cool film, but it's you learn how much or how valuable that is to have someone outside the scope of what's happening. Right. To watch it, to juggle it, to feel it. And it, it's a. Um, it was a crazy process to do do both, but something I had wanted to do for a long time. And if you so to anyone who is about to embark on a directing career, what would you say was the most valuable thing? What is the most valuable piece of advice you could give? Uh, casting mm-hmm. is is you know which has been said before. I'm not the first person to say that. Is is you have to you know having the right people and the right roles will will serve you way beyond what you know, almost anything else you can do. And, and, and certainly just a, a genuine connection, uh, to, to the material you're, you're doing. I, you know, I had had a couple of close calls, um, over the years of doing something and I just never felt it. I never felt the story. I never connected with it. And, um, as deeply as I want to, as deeply as I needed to. And, and, uh, you know, this, this story was, was felt, you know, just, just right. And I think that that is an easily, an easy thing to overlook as a director. Of course, you know, you're going to have a connection to something you're going to direct, but man, I mean, it's got to be all in. There can't be any, uh, any hesitations at all. Yeah. Especially because everyone's looking to you to know how everything is going to work. But I think that that happens. I do think that, that, you know, it, it sounds, uh, um, you know, uh, it, it sounds obvious, but I think there are people because, it, you know, somebody ends up having a directing career. They're doing five movies or 10 movies or 20 movies, you know, not necessarily every one of them is going to necessarily deeply resonate with them. Right. Uh, my friends, John and Val, who who just did the uh, the movie with uh, Steve on the, you know, uh, you know, with the tennis film. Oh, yes. You mean the um, come on. The- 
Battle of the Sexes. That's a good title, and I can't even remember it. See, I told you I had memory <laughs> issues. Battle of the Sexes. John and Val have done three movies. It started with Little Miss Sunshine. They, you know, did Ruby Sparks and this. I mean, think about that. That's over the course of, you know, like 11, 12 years. Right. 13, 14 years. Jim Brooks, you know. I mean, just there are those directors who have the ability to be very selective and not, you know, work very often and really only respond when they are deeply, deeply connected to the material, which often, I th- which I think always produces something special. But um, if you're doing your first thing, man, you gotta, you gotta love it. it when, when does this movie come out? Do you have any idea? I, I, I think uh, April uh, of, of 2018. Is there anything that you haven't done yet that you still want to do? Is there anything, any kind of, it doesn't even have to be entertainment related. Was there anything else where you feel like, Someday I'm going to just go do that thing, but not yet. Um, no, I don't think so. I think I've, uh, you know, been fortunate enough to, you know, kind of do a lot of different things. And so far there's no, at least right now, there's not something that I'm deeply chasing. I've, I've enjoyed, uh, you know, trying to mix it up. Well, you seem well-adjusted and just like a happy, normal guy. Yeah. Which I think is, uh, I mean, it's, which even asking you, like, well, was it crazy when all this stuff was happening? You're like, oh, no, it seemed fine. I mean, is it, it I, I wonder, is that just because you had good parents and a stable childhood and you, and you were comfortable growing? When we, I, were you comfortable who, as a teenager? Who, who was the guy that was sitting in this chair that you were saying, hey, how are the Academy Awards? And they were like, oh, it sucked. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, I... Well, no, but I, some I people like- but some people can, you know, like... Th- a so lot of the anx- angst more. Yes, yes. Anxiety, you know, just sort of the stress of it all or they're like, well, this was crazy or mind-blowing or not at all what I, you know... I mean that it because it's a very strange environment. It's a very artificial environment. It's a very you know if people are looking to that to provide all the meaning in their soul, then they will probably be very disappointed. Right. You know, so it's but no, I think that's true, and I I don't think that I've um, uh, you know for me I I of course I I care what I do. I, I you know really do care about uh, if if I'm doing a, a, a film, television, whatever. Uh, I care about it. I want it to be good. Not just me. I want the whole thing to be good. I yeah. care. And I sit in a screening of a, of a film or, or, or you know, I- anything. If I'm watching it and I'm a part of it, of course, I, I want the audience to resonate with it. I want it to matter to them. Um, and yet at the same time, it's just I, I don't think that, you know, and it's changed over the years. There were probably times where I was much more, certainly earlier, grinding on the idea of, God, this has got to work. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, with family or with, you know, children, maybe my priorities have moved, certainly, and shifted. But, um, so I still do care. But, yeah, I'm not, I, I don't have a lot of deep anxiety, although that might just be because your room is so warm and <laughs> relaxing. I'm in a couch, by the way. We're not wearing pants. We're not wearing pants, man. I'm in a couch. This couch, who wouldn't be relaxed on this, this couch? This belonged to Lydia's grandparents, this oh, is couch. Oh, that true? Yeah. It's so comfortable, man. It's super comfy. You want to sell it? It's a... <laughs> 
Would you sell it? Just take it. She's not gonna. I mean, she, you know, they've had it long enough. I think you wouldn't sell it. Three hundred. Oh my God, no. There'd be no possible way you would sell it. Well, I don't know. What are we talking about here? I well, mean, you're you like know. the museum guy. I don't know. I think everybody, everything in a museum has a price on it. To some, <laughs> you know, that that I don't buy that priceless thing. Listen, so. I'm not gonna sell it. But if I were going to, like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> like, what is our? What are the? You know, it's funny. I actually reached out to. I know I know one of the people who works at the the museum the Natural History Museum in New York and foolishly a few years ago I just reached out and I was like you don't happen to have any just like specimens of anything in a closet that you would sell and she was like heavens no like asking a museum if they would sell you something I just it just I just felt like a dirty uh, artifact addict where I was like just a, a skeleton anything you know but they don't they don't do that sort of thing they won't do it, but we love you know this coucheron has been in the been her family for a few generations and it's still in very good shape. I admire that you went to a, the Natural History Museum and asked him if they had any specimens. I'm not real proud own. of that. I'm not uh, I'm not real <laughs> proud of that because even after she responded, she was taken aback by the nature of the question. Yeah, no, Who she's would... still talking about it. I'm sure it's there's still... another podcast going called Museums Today, and she's like, and this son of a bitch, this son, this greedy son of a bitch, starts saying, "Hey, what sort of a fire sale are you having over there? What are we a fucking are, are we like a secondhand IKEA store where you can just come in and buy with your Hollywood money? You're, you're your dirty Hollywood money and buy things up from the public? I don't think so, pal. In fact, we're going to come take some of your shit because it belongs... Going back to Harrison Ford, it belongs in a museum. It belongs in a museum. Yeah, no, you know, it's funny because we... Is that a line from Harrison it's, Ford? It's a line from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, of course. It's like, you know, there he's you go. going after the Ark, you there know, you and no, he's having... Right. It belongs in a museum. You're right. But even, but even, you know, when I when I think back to you on Talk Soup, I think of a a really confident, comfortable guy on camera, and there was no, you know, there was no sense of desperation, which it was a very interesting thing in comedy because there is a lot, there's a lot of comedy where you can feel like, and I'm of course thinking about my own in general, where where the audience can tell like this guy needs us, <laughs> he needs us to like him. And and yours was just a very like, hey, I'm here and you're invited to come along to this. But if you don't want to, I don't, it's fine. You know, like there was just a comfort level to it. Yeah, there's a real advantage to to not having any friends to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> you got nothing to lose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess. Uh, so when does uh, the same, same kind of different as me? The different in sameness. Comes out on the twentieth of twentieth uh, of October. A lovely movie, by the way. Jaiman Hansu, uh, John Voight, Renee Zellweger. Um, based on this this book, it's it's about uh, homelessness. It's about um, you know uh, helping, reaching out, you know, to people of. of completely different parts of the universe um a, a guy ron hall true story and forming this friendship with uh denver moore who co-wrote the book with him they became you know sort of lifelong friends raised close to a hundred million dollars for homelessness you live if you're in los angeles listening to this ground zero for homelessness uh, it, it is a you know it's an epic problem and this story is just about it's about I, I really like it. It's it's about the tendency for us to want to write a check to help the problem. God, do we do that here in town? Oh yeah, and that's okay. We need money. We need resources. But this story is about actually forget the check. 
that you want to write and hand off and go to the dinner or whatever. This is about putting yourself out there. And as uncomfortable as that can be, putting yourself on the line, putting your um, uh, your actions into work and, and trying to contribute to the problem with yourself by what you do. And it's uh, I, I think it's uh, yeah, it's a worthwhile story, especially in a, you know, given the temperature of the last year and where <laughs> what do you mean uh what <laughs> i mean temperature <laughs> of this in room. terms of crap happening in the world <laughs> uh you know politically and in terms of you know uh, wait natural so disasters and in terms everything's of, not so everything's not going awesome right now it's crazy <laughs> so you're saying that there are biblical signs <laughs> that we are standing on the edge of the end of our civilization what a time right it's such a strange I time mean, like, you, you you know, you 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 couldn't you add this stuff up, and it's 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 amazing. You now you now I feel like we're just going from one thing to another, you know, and it's it's uh, it's exhausting and terrifying. What when is uh, when is Electric Dreams come out? Do you know if a date for that? That, com- uh, that comes out, uh, I believe, end of October, but I'm not really sure. Okay, Sony, I'm so sorry. Well, it'll, a- it'll, it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon, so, they'll, so they'll tell you. Yeah, they'll tell you, and and I'm sure they'll they'll uh, you can. I think you can click and and watch them all. In the cast, once. it's like every we call that binging. Binging, you can yeah. binge it all at once. Binge it all you want. Binge just gorge. gorge I like this thing. I need twenty of this thing ASAP. Yeah. yeah. Um, so last thing, because this is a this is this has become a gotcha podcast. Oh boy. Uh, any good? Any good embarrassing story of like, oh, I met this really famous person and then this weird thing happened, or I was in this situation. Like any really good. Uh, uh, and I ran up to this person and I said this thing and I wish I hadn't said that thing. Who who's the best? Who is giving you the best answer on that? One? I don't really ask that question. We used to ask. Sure, that question of course not. Of bring all. Bring Kinnear in here. Set him in. I just set him up. Just brought it up for you. He won't know what to do with that. <laughs> don't give it to the other guys. Keep that little nugget for Kinnear. You know, because Kinnear freak can him take out. the hard an pitches. Kinnear can take the curveballs. Most oh. people need an underhanded oh. softball pitch. Oh. Okay, well, that's making me feel better. <laughs> I am going through the, the Rolodex as you speak, as you start to bolster my confidence about myself. Janir can do anything. He can handle anything. He's superhuman, if you will. Oh, gosh, it was so long ago. But, um, all right, so here's one. Harvey Corman. Oh, that's a fantastic one. Okay, Harvey yep. Corman. yep. Meanwhile, your audience is like, okay, I'm switching over to, uh, you know. Oh, my God. People, comedy people know who Harvey Corbin is. So great. So brilliant. Genius. I'm a, I'm a young whippersnapper. This is prior to Talk Soup. And i am got a microphone and a guy with a camera. And I'm at this event. I'm supposed to get some interviews of people and anything I can to try and fill time on movie time. Before E was E, it was movie time. And so I'm walking down a hall. And here comes, I, I had uh, just done an interview with Harvey a little bit earlier, briefly, just a brief show business knickknack interview about whatever. And he's walking down the hall with his two granddaughters and I stop him and I say, Mr. Corman, hi, how are you? I remember I'm Greg, I saw you downstairs. And he kind of didn't really remember me. He was like, oh, hi, how are you? He's very nice. And I said, and look who's got their granddaughters here and hell, what's your name? And I'm doing my butter up, the best sort of sweaty butter up I can do to a celebrity. And 
he stops me and says, see, now that is you projecting what you think this case is. But as it turns out, what did you say your name is? Greg. He goes, as it turns out, Greg, these are my daughters. Uh, uh, oh. And um, I didn't feel very good about that. <laughs> and it created a uh, long, awkward silence as, uh, as they walked off. So you mind. were really old when they, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> well, he was, he was very old at that time. I mean, I, I don't know. It just seemed weird that, you know, now I probably wouldn't make that assumption. But at the time, it was just, I, I, I don't know, a kid, you know. Out of, you, what you got to do, you know, he's a comedy guy. You double down on the bit and go, is that what they told you? Yeah. No, you've got all the. Are you not kidding? Do you think I, I didn't? I had thousands of great <laughs> follow-up lines as I rode the elevator downstairs. <laughs> thousands of them, but at the time it was just sheer Ooh, horror. Sorry. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, it was bad. That's a good one. That That's is a good one. Not a good one. I feel like there's really, really good ones. I do shit like this all the time. I'm always putting my foot in my mouth every day. I come home and I feel like there's a list of them, and I have nothing for you, Chris. You did nothing when you showed up on the set of As Good as It Gets. You didn't push your hair back and do Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. I'm sure that didn't happen. I didn't ever, I never did any uh, humiliate, I never did anything, you know, with with uh, with Jack that I would, you know, recount for you. That would Remember be, when I you traveled were in with Batman? him? I had nothing. No, I don't have a good one. I don't have a good one with him. That's all right, Greg. Yeah. We got the Harvey Cormans, and that that's enough. Yeah, all right. That's enough for today. But this is also gives you a good assignment to go out and embarrass yourself in some horrible way with someone, and then come back and talk about it. Oh, the drive home. This is going to be such a good interview <laughs> on my drive home. I cannot tell you. I loved I'm having you on so because spots. you were so nice to me. You were so nice to me back then, and I was such a fan of yours before I started working in television. And and so I, you're just someone that I've always, I'm always happy to see oh, do you. well, and I always root for you. And I just, I don't know, I really, I, I really always, because it is important, like when you meet people who are just starting out and you're nice to them and you encourage them, they never forget it. I've yeah. never forgotten how nice you were to me back then. Well, so I'm I glad I, it. I'm sure glad I was. And uh, as I say, you've you've done. Uh, extremely well and I am extremely happy to come and do this show because uh, I'm a fan as well oh thanks this man is great well Academy Award winner Greg Kinnear has been here today <laughs> 100% true don't look don't no, don't even look it up and uh, and thanks for being here yeah man this is great enjoy your burrito everyone now leaving nerdist.com enjoy your burrito <laughs> For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.